Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's the usual lineup today. Logan, John, Phil, we're all here. It's our spring break recap episode. And want to do a special shout out. Today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodcraft Supply. Since 1928, Woodcraft has been providing woodworkers with the best tools and supplies. To get a free catalog, visit woodcraft.com slash shopnotes or visit one of their 75 stores nationwide. Woodcraft, helping you make wood work. All right. We're back. Everybody's back from spring break. Some of us never left. It's kind of fun to have Mike Pekovich on last week for the episode. If not for yep. the simple fact that as woodworking publications, we don't view each other for the most part as, as evil enemies. No, we're all just one big happy community. Right. So except for pop wood, they're wow. our enemy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they're our frenemy. Frenemy. Can we say that frenemy. Right. No, you can say whatever you want. We're all, yeah. So maybe sometime we should get somebody from Wood Magazine on here just to have the the Des Moines trifecta no. of woodworking there you publications. Go. No. <laughs> you trying to get like a social media war going with them or something? Get oh, one I of those, just don't want like, uh... Oh wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Okay. <laughs> so it's on now. It's on. <laughs> Start launching water water balloons down the hill. Yep. It dang near could reach us close. If you would have ever finished yep. a trebuchet, John, we'd be able to make it. Yep. Yep. Weapons of mass destruction. That would be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. We we do have the high ground, so right. I'm confident. So don't even try it, Anakin. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Since uh, the best part about spring break was, even though I didn't go anywhere, we had nice weather that week. Mm -hmm. And I was able to spend several days in my workshop for several hours at a stretch, which was quite unusual for the last few months. And I know that we've had a couple of people asking about my workbench that I built last year and I showed that on our YouTube channel. I'll put a link for that in the show notes page, wondering how it's worked out. And I will have to say that it's delightful. I really enjoy that bench. It's a few inches taller, which I thought would be more of an issue than what it is, but I haven't really, maybe it's because all of our benches here at Woodsmith were designed by tall people. I'm looking at Chris Fitch and Ted Krylicek. Mm -hmm. And so all of our benches here are tall and I guess I've just gotten used to it. So having a slightly taller workbench has been, has been delightful. And the surface of the bench, the bench top is made from the white fur and they it's acquired some, some love marks, little dings and dents or whatever, but I, it's, mm -hmm. it's breaking in very nicely. I, it stayed pretty flat, even compared to what I thought would happen for 
going through an Iowa winter. Um, so I've I've been loving it. Mm-hmm. So has it been a full year since you completed that? No, Ju- already, I think or... July is when okay. I completed it. But yeah. people had been asking about it and, okay. you know, having been able to spend some concentrated time working at it over the past week has kind of allowed me to be a little bit more aware of what I think of it. So, yeah, I don't know. Time all blends together in the shop. Yeah. So I just can't yeah. remember if it had been a full year or not. So, yeah, I do like having the the storage below because that was one of my main beefs with my old bench was that open space underneath that just kind of collected crap. So just having them as drawers is very nice because it just has a nice, a a better visual uh, cleanliness look to it. Um, But also having some of those accessories like in a drawer close at hand is very nice. So... And the enclosed base all the way to the floor has made sweeping up in my shop so much easier. Yeah, I think that is, as you were building your bench, I know that a new bench was kind of on my yeah. my list soon, sooner rather than later. And it has um, definitely become one of those well, it's it, I have it on a right. magazine matrix to do one, so there are many things that you have just said that are on my <laughs> my bucket list for my bench. You know, cabinet base all the way to the floor. Yeah, because uh, I've I've dropped I don't know how many little pieces of hardware or a small part off the bench accidentally or you know cleaning up and just bump something. And I know that those pieces would have gone rolling under the bench in a previous, previous lifetime. Mm-hmm. And to just have that satisfaction that I know I'm going to be able to find it and it's not going to take a bunch of crawling around on my hands and knees and digging my hand into the spider webs underneath the bench to find it. Well, and I, I don't remember what I was doing last week, but I was cleaning up the shop a little bit here and like trying to sweep around like stuff that has legs, like the right. editor bench and Steve's bench and the lathe. <laughs> oh, don't even start on lathe legs. They collect shavings underneath them. Like whoever decided putting spindly little legs on shop <laughs> stuff is dumb. Like, it, like it's not a good idea. I was just going to go back to Logan's uh, future bench do you have a uh material picked out or just whatever you have on hand at the time no i i actually don't think i want to use anything that i have um i mean i have a lot of ash and that would be fine to be honest with you though i just mm-hmm. don't like the looks of it um not for a bench just because it's um, too busy or now yeah I think I don't like the I, yeah, yeah. It's very pale, and I don't want to stain a bench because ain't nobody right. got time for that. Like it's gonna look dumb after a year, anyways. Um, if I could, and and I just took delivery of three big ash logs um, that have, I know in England they call them olive ash, but the heartwood of our ash trees here, um, 
there there usually is a very homogenous wood in ash, so it's usually very consistently colored. Yep, just like that. Um, but occasionally we get what what in England they refer to as olive ash, and it turns it's very it's very brown mm. and red. Um, it it does quite honestly look like olive wood. Um, and I took, I got three logs that have that nice dark color in them. Um, and maybe if I can get it cut and drying quick enough. Um, but I think to be honest with you, I think beach, I think I just want to do it at beach. So I'm, I'm very, and I probably have said this, I'm, I'm very, um, heavily, interested in doing a shaker style bench and i know everybody's done one i know i hear it already everybody's done a shaker style bench um but uh so i think like a painted base beach top you know it's kind of what i'm thinking because beach is hard not super hard um but it's hard enough um yeah it's kind of where i'm thinking cool so getting European beach in, is that what you're saying? Or do you have a source on local? I'm going to get I'm a PN beach. <laughs> What's that? European? Yeah. I'm going to get I, I'm a PN beach yet. Uh, nope. I probably will just go with a good old-fashioned Liberty Hardwoods, the traditional okay. beach mm-hmm. supplier. So I would, I would love – God, I would love to go up to – like Wisconsin or, or somewhere get a bunch of beach logs and bring them down, cut them like that would be, if I could figure out a way to make that a legitimate story and a legitimate work expense to do, mm-hmm. then absolutely. So there's our I've challenge that, for uh, yeah. listeners for this podcast is yes. yes if you have beach yeah. logs, <laughs> I would think that you wouldn't want to cut the beach, cut the beach logs with your mill because they're usually pretty sandy. They are. Oh, They're very great. sandy. Yeah. A lot of silica mm-hmm. content. I was waiting yeah. for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just got to put the yeah. negative mm-hmm. rig blade on. Okay. That's all I got for today. <laughs> I'm going to check out now. I, okay. But don't. <laughs> Adios. I, I think, and it's because it's not a wood that I have, we have here. I don't. I've never tried to cut it and dry it. I have. I feel like I remember reading that beach is a hardwood to dry because it likes to move. But I could be completely incorrect. Yeah, on that. can get a lot of waves. Yeah, it's right there, just right there. I'm back, baby. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> you, guys back miss break, you guys miss me. You guys miss me. Go. <laughs> I. I've heard that too about beach that it's difficult to dry, and yet it's been used for so many things for so long that it just doesn't. Well, yeah, like you go to go to IKEA, or everything's right. beach, you know. Well, and you know, planes so, that I don't know. you know wood hand planes that were made in Europe are beach. You know, if you think you'd want something that's stable. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't make a hand plane out of something that's deliberately going to be crazy on you. Yep. It's a, so my, my three seconds of research as we're talking about this. Right. Uh, says beach is a lively wood when it dries, it likes to move. Mm. So, although 
quarter sawing it would eliminate a lot of that. Sure. Which is what I do with Sycamore. Yeah. Because Sycamore is the same way. So. There you go. You just do Sycamore top. Quarter sawn Sycamore. I do it. I do have a lot of quarter sawn Sycamore right now. I would really like to turn that into some cold hard cash, baby. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. To turn, fund your beach turn, workbench. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, I was saying, maybe I sell the sycamore to fund my beach workbench. So we'll see. That, you know, that's, that's not something we ever really talk about is how woodworking, I, I guess woodworking can be as expensive a hobby as you want it to be, but it also could be fairly cheap if you want it to be. So it's as expensive as you let mm-hmm. it be. Mm-hmm. But as I say, like, the unfortunate thing is I feel like, like we're talking about, you know, this workbench and Phil's workbench. Like Phil, you built your workbench very inexpensively, right? Yeah, yeah, because it was from that so, fir tree that you had cut down and sawed, and yep. Yep. Uh, the base I did from Douglas fir construction lumber that I had been hoarding, you know, just offcuts of different mm-hmm. pieces and whatever. And yeah, there's ways. So I, in reality, yeah, it. I would say in reality, how much, how much do you think that bench costs you cash? Like, uh, I don't know, probably all in like 75 bucks, maybe a hundred, <laughs> which is, is hilarious because that's a great example. Whereas I'm just going to go buy the beach and probably if I'm building a workbench like this, probably going to have some bench crafted hardware on it. Yeah. Probably going to cost me 1500 bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things is like, will one function better than the other? Depends on how you work. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Yeah. And I so. guess that's the other part that gets me is, you know, is, you know, that it's really easy to, and I, and I struggle with it here at the magazine and in talking about things is to be real, you end up being, very prescriptive on how you talk about woodworking based on the type of woodworking that you do. And it's fairly easy to become a little narrow in what you're seeing because, you know, I, my workbench works very well for me right now because of the type of work that I do. And that's why I built it the way I did is because I knew Mm -hmm. how I was going to work, the type of projects that I build on it and the experience from what I've had, in the past from my previous bench, you know, like I had, you know, that the low cost of my bench was the fact that I could, I took the vice off the old one and put it on the new one. So I didn't have a new vice mm-hmm. expense on there. And I think it was mostly fasteners, fasteners, glue, and, uh, the knobs on the drawers. Paint? Did you paint something? Yeah, I did bought some paint for the, because I did the yep. panels on the base were plywood panels. So I had a real rigid, you know, two side assemblies. And then the back assembly mm-hmm. were plywood panels that I ended up painting. So, but again, a lot of that was kind of scavenged stuff. And, you know, if you're selective about what you keep and hold on to or what you're going to use it for, you know, like the, the Douglas fir construction lumber, you dress it up, run it through a planer and joiner. And it's taking on that really cool, mellow, kind of like, I don't know, amber, orangey kind of look that fur gets. Mm-hmm. And it, it looks really nice. Yeah. yeah. So this what... is your 
This is your uh, license to everybody to hold on to every single piece of wood ever so they can build a cheap workbench. Sure. Yep. And find okay. somebody who is a Sawyer. That's my big takeaway <laughs> lesson yes. from the last couple of years is <laughs> make friends with somebody in your area who is a who's a Sawyer because you are liable Go to throw find... some lumber for them. Yep. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, I fully recognize the fact that my position working at Woodsmith gives me access to a lot of high quality scrap wood mm-hmm. that may not be available for everybody. However, part of that relationship is also uh, being with you and knowing that you saw logs for a variety of people. You know, if they're storm damaged Mm -hmm. or something like that, you're just going to help out and saw them and, you know, like that white fur. Like that was, that was, it's not a fine furniture wood necessarily, but it didn't deserve to get ground into mulch either or doused in diesel and lit up, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you would have sold that fur, it's that still wouldn't have been that expensive. Right. No, no, no. That entire log cutting it and selling it. Like to be honest with you, my time I had into it was more valuable than what I would have sold it for. Yeah. Because of, what the species was and some of the shakes it had in it. Right. Yeah. Which so. took, it took effort on my part to cut around that and to work with that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the bench top to be at, bench top and drawer faces to be as free of knots as possible. There's some small little pin mm-hmm. knots and there's pitch pockets in there and whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was able to cut around all of that and I have a really nice looking bench top and drawer faces as a result of it. So that part is really cool yep. to me. So, which I thought was kind of interesting. Little side note here: uh, the Iowa Department of Natural Resources does a magazine. Iowa was the Iowa Outdoor, and yep. their current issue has an article on uh, people like you, Logan, like boutique Sawyers, and how they oh, yeah? find you know that getting to know somebody who like you or uh millie wood here in town mm-hmm. uh tom tom they're able to find and saw unusual trees because you're not trying to meet some kind of demand of fifty thousand board feet of x tree mm-hmm. you can be like cool this white fur looks pretty sweet it's only one tree let's do but- it but let's do it because there yeah. might be somebody that likes it or sycamore like you've had, you know, yeah. yeah. commercial sycamore is just tough to work with and find. Yep. Yep. So yeah. And that's something I, I kind of struggle with is the more I cut, how does every one of these podcasts evolve into me talking about sawmilling? <laughs> I will apologize for it, but yeah. you guys bait me into these conversations. I right. know it. You're like that uh, that teacher that we can get off topic by just like coming <laughs> up with random stuff. Just get you going. No test today, kids. Yeah. Um, but like, I struggle with that because I love I love that type of thing. Like, I love white fir tree. Like, come on, when do you see that? Or like, 
I I brought home um I I feel I showed you this actually you helped me split it in the shop uh that stupid um hawthorn tree like I love that like when the hell are you gonna find hawthorn right yeah but at the same time I quickly realized how much more difficult it is to cut and stack live edge stuff like that than it is for me just to take a big old pile of white oak and turn it into a pile of white oak boards. It stacks a whole lot more nicely in my yard and it looks sure. a whole lot better too. So, you know, I'm trying not to stop with those weird specialty trees like that. Um, but they definitely take a little more effort and they're a little bit more pain in the butt, which is maybe why if you do find them, they are a little bit more expensive. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, apple trees around, but it's not an easy wood to cut and stack a, you know, a thousand board foot pile that I can then dry and sell commercially. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's that opportunity cost. So, but yeah, I, back to the original question, beach for the workbench. There we go. Okay. And a shaker style. And a shaker style. So all right. So you got to look forward in it. Look forward to it in an upcoming Popwood issue. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder: today's episode is brought to you by Woodcraft. Since 1928, Woodcraft has been providing woodworkers with the best tools and supplies. You can get a free catalog. Visit woodcraft.com slash shop notes or check out one of their 75 stores nationwide. Woodcraft, helping you make wood work. So what else? Do you have your... Oh, you because you had that turned vessel from the tree that I that you helped me take down yeah that i delivered yesterday oh nice delivered it to the to the the poor departed kitty's parents well Mm. the the human parents not the feline parents um but yeah no that was that was cool i mean that was another one of those things it's like even if a tree isn't gonna make good wood doesn't mean that there's not something there you can use. Like that tree in your backyard filled was nasty, right? Like, oh. It was not a, <laughs> it was not a good tree. It was nasty. There no. was holes in it. There was yeah. dead stuff. It smashed my face, you know, stuff yep. like that. Yeah. Cause that but, one went up like what? Five and a half feet and then forked into like three different branches. Yeah. And yeah, had that huge knot hole in it and then had carpenter ants. There was, I was kind of surprised that that tree lasted as long as it did once we had it on the ground. Cause there was big sections that were super hollow and rotted out. And yeah, but I'll tell you what, you get down to that buttress, that, that kind of root flare on that, on that trunk. And when we lop that off, I'm like, I'm going to take some of this for, some turning blanks and Phil, you took a section. Do you have it there? Yeah, I have part Is of it, it that I'm working on a, a, a piece. You can't, I'll take a picture of it and put it on the, I'm making a, like a hollow shrink box vessel with it. And what kind of surprised me is the blank that I had was like five and a half inches thick, probably 14, 15 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And maybe like 18 wide. And from the outside, it just kind of looked like generic maple. 
just in its because it was just chainsawed. Sean just chainsawed it into a rectangular blank. And uh, yep. when I cut out this piece and cleaned up one of the faces, like it's super curly. You can't quite see it on there. I'm going to see if I can get a photo of it and put it on the show notes page. But yeah. some of those faces are really curly on there, and it's it's got some nice coloring in it for. Yeah. You know, like soft maple usually has better coloring, I think, than hard maple. But mm-hmm. even then, it can still sometimes be just kind of eh. I said they both suck, but hard maple sucks just a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so, like I think you, you, get, you get down to that buttress where we cut that blank out of where I cut some of my blanks out of. And yeah. there's so much compression. I mean, you figure a tree of that size probably weighs, you know, better part of 15,000 pounds. Right. Um, so as everything sits, all that, all that force is getting pushed into a, a, a cylinder. That's basically three feet across. So those yeah. fibers are getting crunched down like a slinky and that's where that curl comes from. So even an unassuming <clears throat> nasty tree like that, that I'm like, I don't want anything to do with from a soy sawing standpoint. Yeah. You get into something like carving or turning or a shrink pot like that. Like there's some really nice figure in there that that little hollow vessel I did um, I did on video edition for anybody that subscribes to our video edition um, it had some really cool bark inclusions on it so it was curly right. and bark inclusions compression figure I have a couple more pieces and actually we just stacked all that foam on another piece of that in the back of my truck um, <laughs> and it's just because you took it's like three or four burls right out of yeah, between the front one I, and the back tree. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I have your front tree. I have a couple of the butt sections still because oh. I end up with somehow I end up with a dump trailer going to my house and dumping it in my yard. Which <laughs> I hope you don't see my wife anytime soon, Phil, until she forgets about that. Uh, <laughs> but like the the front section or the front tree from your house, the buttress on that's super curly. You know, like, oh, yeah. So it's like, I'm going to cut some bowl blanks out of that, and it's super curly. So it's just, it's, I think, I think, uh, a man, uh, Mr. Gump said it best. Well, his mom said it. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So, same thing yep. with tree. <laughs> just don't ever know what's going to be inside till you cut it open. Right. So. Which I think is part of the fun that I've had with woodworking these last few years, maybe since the pandemic is just being able to be more aware of the wood that is around you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's probably something that I've picked up from green woodworking folk that I follow online or uh, have been in contact with is that they're very in tune with kind of what's available at the moment rather than, uh, you know, going to a lumber yard or, woodworking retail store and just kind of seeing what's available there, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I do plenty of woodworking that way as well, but there is another branch of it that uh, I think probably more people could be exposed to. It's just a little, it's harder because it's like, how do you find a Sawyer that you're going to get to know? Or, you know, you have to have a certain amount of, you know, if you're going to do it, then, you have to be kind of available at a moment's notice because mm-hmm. 
this tree is coming down for construction or from a storm or whatever, and you got to be ready. And there are tools and skills involved with that. So you either have to know somebody and have those relationships built or know how to do it yourself. And that's, yeah, it's, it's funny. You just remind me of a, uh, uh, email I got what probably two weeks or a week ago, um, from one of our listeners, Mike, um, he said he was listening to one of the podcasts and I met, I must, I must have mentioned something about secondary woods and, uh, Catalpa in particular, um, mm. about how I've never cut it and used it. And Mike said, uh, you know, I just, uh, I happened to be able to work with a Catalpa slab at the time and wanted to share some pictures of the bed he made with it. Uh, he said he's a hobbyist slash amateur level woodworker. I would disagree looking at his picture and I will put that up. Uh, on the show notes page too, um, the Catalpa slab is gorgeous. <laughs> it looks really cool. So, at some point, I'm gonna have to put a bug in my buddy Sean's ear and Boyan's ear and say, "Hey, next Catalpa tree, give me a holla," because we're gonna need to cut that bad boy up. He said it was, if I remember right, uh, Mike emailed me back. So it was pretty soft, um, like dried oh, yeah. pine. He said, um, oh. so it'd be interesting. So growing up, my neighbor had a Catalpa was two doors down from us. We, mm -hmm. we had like a way to called it the secret passageway to go from like his yard through the back of our neighbor's yard in between to get to the backyard of my place. And yeah. the back corner by his, they had a Catalpa tree, but it had gone hollow at one point and somebody had filled the bottom section with concrete. Oh God. <laughs> so... Which I always thought. Was I have kind of heard. Weird, good luck cutting that down. Yeah, well, say I've heard. I've actually heard from some not arborists locally, but like on some of the arborist groups I'm on on Facebook that that was very common. Like you yeah. wanted the tree to stay standing, you just dumped bags of quick creek inside of it. Like, <laughs> boo, you're gonna have some. Just doesn't you're go through some chainsaw right. chains. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it, for anybody that doesn't know, Catalpa's that tree, at least up here in the northern states, um, it gets those great big, huge, like heart-shaped leaves almost. Um, yeah. And it, in the springtime, it has, um, I think, little white flowers on it. Yeah, um, a ton of them. So, yeah, a ton of them. And the, does it get the – I know the southern Catalpa – gets those big long like bean type shoots. I think ours yeah. up here do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So my neighbors did anyway. Yeah. Did it. They make a mess. Yeah. But I I have I mean, also they were, as a kid they were super cool trees because oh, it's like oh, look yeah. at all these flowers and then you'd just do stuff with flowers and then you'd get the beans that would get at the end of the season and you'd you know make a mess with those too until one of the parents yelled at us and we used to do that with walnuts. So we'd wait till the walnuts started getting soggy on the ground and you start throwing at each other like splatter balls. Black walnuts, they stain. They stain really yeah, bad. Yeah, and then your hands are black <laughs> yeah. for like three weeks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we had an apple tree in our yard, so it was always the rotten apples getting yep. thrown at each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mowed lawn for in... I think I was in high school for somebody from our church that was getting older and they had a big yard and had, I don't know, three or four apple trees in there and didn't 
wasn't able to keep up with them. So you're mowing and it's like 50% apple and 50% grass. You know, it's just yeah. kind of this weird applesauce stuff that you're kind of oh. blasting through. And... Yuck. Yuck. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Because now you guys got my gears working again on this workbench. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, not not necessarily workbench related, but it kind of ties into what I was doing this morning, which was cleaning up the the photo set. Um, kind of kind of had crap all over. Um, what would you guys, if you guys had your dream tool storage? Okay, what's it going to be? Is it going to be now? I think we have to kind of differentiate between hand tools and power tools, because okay. generally power tools are not stored the same as hand tools are hand tools are kind of that boutique on display you know you know kind of the the holy grail type display cabinet um right what what are your guys's thoughts on power tool and hand tool storage options what do you think if you had to say this is what i want or this is what i want in my shop what is that hmm. i don't know stuff that i'm using a lot i want out invisible like hung on a wall somewhere where I can see it. Um, maybe the stuff I use less in drawers. So are you a pegboard? Are you a pegboard kind of woodworker, go-to. John? Uh, yeah, I use, I'm not afraid to use pegboard. I don't <laughs> okay. hate it, but you know, whether it be pegboard or slat okay. wall or, you know, something like that where you're, you know, hanging up the tools that you use most often. So you can just grab them and you're not digging through drawers or any of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I asked so. because I, I had, um, <laughs> so anybody that watches our lives knows that the one area that never looks the same week to week is Dylan's corner, right? It's kind of like, you don't, that is true. you don't necessarily mm-hmm. know what project's going to be there. You don't know right. what tool cabinet workbench he's going to be using at the time. Uh, because they seem to change very often. And I recently somehow, not not I, but somehow the tool cabinet that Steve had built for Woodsmith that was at Steve's bench, right. it migrated to Dylan's area. Right. And Dylan quickly discovered that you could fill it up really quickly. And Dylan has a lot of stuff. He and, does. And it moved over to the photo set, which I don't mind. It's, it's a nice-looking cabinet. It looks good behind the bench while I'm building projects and stuff. Um, but it is fairly small. So that's kind of where this question stemming from. And another, uh, a tool cabinet is a, another project on my matrix. So I kind of want to hear, you know, John says he wants stuff that he's using, you know, regularly out and available. What are you, what do you think, Phil? Um, in a, in the perfect shop in my head, I kind of like the, the tool wall mounted tool rack kind of look I've seen several versions of those, um, in different places. We have one sort of on the video set, you know, where we have that chisel rack below and a couple of shelves up above Mm -hmm. and a lot of the tools can kind of just live there and they're easy to get and you know where they are and see, um, and I'm thinking of, you know, like photos from some of James Krenoff's books where his his shop, when he was still in Sweden, uh, he had several tool racks that were very similar to that kind of idea. And I like 
that idea. But in my shop, because of where it is, uh, that would get super dusty and I don't really have space near my bench for it the way that I would want it to be. So I don't, I don't know. It's just not practical. I've always loved the idea of the wall cabinet too, you know, like Christian Bexfurts or mm -hmm. uh, from last week's show, Mike Pekovich has a really cool wall mounted tool cabinet. That's got a lot of, you know, doors within doors and, you know, nested storage ideas. And I really like that. Um, the funny part to me is that, you know, people make a big deal about, you know, that there's doors and you can close it up or whatever. You never see a photo of those things closed. So it's like, don't even build it to close it, you know, just yeah, build it so that it stays open. But again, in my shop, I don't have a big wall space where that would work necessarily. And again, to me, it would just end up being a dust collector mm -hmm. that dust and spider webs and all that kind of stuff, just from being in the garage. You know, if I had my own separate building, I think that might be a different story. Yep. So I, pr I prefer drawers because I feel like that's easier for my brain to wrap around and I can, and I know what tools are in my drawer, in the drawers, even after I've rearranged and it, you know, that tool chest that I built has, I don't know how many drawers and I've changed the layout of it a bunch of times, but I still know exactly where they are. Plus I like, yeah. I have a couple of big drawers in there where I can keep some of my handheld power tools in there, which um, has always been kind of a sticking point for my Gen X-ness of being a little contrary of, you know, like nice power tools deserve decent storage too, rather than just kind of dumped in a cardboard box or jammed yeah. in some cubby or something like that. Now, you, you do bring up a really good point about how <laughs> I'm, I'm now kind of going through my head on everybody's tool cabinets that I've kind of not idolized, but like taking a snapshot of and like, hey, I really like that. The, all Doors are always open. They're always open. So, yeah, why put doors on it? Um, you know, I, hmm, hmm, things that make you go, hmm, it's interesting so the one person in the shop well and i know he doesn't mean to do it but he does it and i kind of like it mark has all his power tools sitting on a bench behind his bench so like he has that he has that little library table or whatever it is it's almost like a card cat i don't it's a card catalog or a card file whatever it is that was his mother-in-law's yeah he was supposed to be repairing that he hasn't repaired yep. yet sits kind of behind his bench next to the drill press, but he has like his router, his jigsaw, everything's sitting on top of it, just out there in the open. But I kind of like that um, idea, but I do like being able to put stuff. I like being able to put stuff away. I'm not, a, I don't like clutter. So I like being able to put stuff away and shut doors so I can, I don't see it. Cause if the clutter's behind the door, it doesn't bother me, but if it's out in the open, then it bothers me. Um, so, Interesting. Maybe the maybe my workbench with the shaker base on it has a door that opens with some big power tool pullouts. That would maybe be a, a good option. 
So I'd be interested to hear how, if anybody has any good suggestions on how they like the order. Better yet, photos. Photos are always good. I've always wondered in a cabinet base kind of design of doing, you know, like the old flower bin tip out things. If you did something like that, if you had smaller versions of that where you could kind of tuck some power tool storage, you know, like, because the big thing with power portable power tools, unless they're cordless, is what do you do with the cord? And I'm not going to wrap it up in a neat little circle and twist it up with Velcro or something like that every time. You just kind of need a place to set it and for the cord to just kind of be with it. So, yeah. I've, anyway, I just thought that that would be kind of an interesting way of dealing with some of those kind of issues, too. Yeah. I do like one that I've... I've always admired and it probably just because of being my formative years of woodworking is uh, Norm Abram had like a big tool hutch, like behind his main workbench area. And the bottom part had big, huge drawers where he could, where all of those portable power tools kind of lived because there was plenty of open space in there. And then up above was a variety of open and closed storage for, you know, kind of all the bric-a-brac of woodworking. So that was, that's something that I've kind of looked at and tried to model some of my stuff on over the years. Yes. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like he had nine drawers. So six big drawers and then three shallower drawers above each. So they're in banks of three. Um, also looks like he has some bins on the worktop. Um, I don't know what those are necessarily, but interesting. Yeah, just kind of open shelving, open storage above. Yeah, and uh, like Jim Tolpin, back before he went all totally hand tools when he was doing a lot of cabinetry work, uh, one of his early books had uh, had a tool hutch idea that I thought was super cool too. And I've looked at, but, you know, otherwise like his current workshop, if you check out his Instagram page and kind of scroll through what his shop looks like now, if you're kind of a hand tool person, it's like his whole shop is tool storage and it's all kind of dedicated around specific sections, you know, like he's got hand saws in one spot and all of his drilling accessories in another and sharpening on one end of the bench. And so that part's really cool. Yeah. So Rob, I think Rob, Cosman, I don't think he has doors on his tool storage, um, on his hand tool storage, you know, kind of going back to the hand tool thing. I don't think he has doors on any of his. His is like all open till behind him. Yeah, it is. So if you look at Rob Cosman's, his is all, all open tool storage, um, hand planes on the bottom, chisels up top, spoke chaise on one side, and then he has some vertical... Uh, like pullouts. Um, I don't know what he keeps in those, um, but that's kind of an interesting style. Um, and his is his is beveled, so he can kind of step into the center of it and be wrapped around by it. So, kind of, kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So, John, you got any uh, in wood woodworking thoughts? Oh, so many. They're all just jammed <laughs> in there. They're all trying to get out at once. What projects are you designing? Are you working on? 
Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it in a previous podcast, but a uh, Mason B house and some picture frames, which is very generic. So, and the uh, uh, the problem with those projects, small projects, is always how do I make them different and how do I make them not a one page or two page article? How do I how do I make it more than that? How do yeah. I add detail? So been messing around with some ideas there cool you know one thing that i did over spring break that i had kind of resisted for a while for the very thing about having tool storage out in the open was um we did a a small cart last season on the tv show two doors had some fun little pullouts that you could customize on and i've always admired that project it was an old shop notes one and having that in my shop, I thought it would end up taking up a lot of space. But that's a really cool, compact way to store a lot of power tools. I thought that was a fun design and really adaptable. But it's also another horizontal surface in my shop that can very easily get stuff stacked on it and turn into an area of clutter. So in the sense of killing two birds with one stone, I set up my sharpening station on top of it. And it's basically right behind my workbench. So all I have to do is turn around and there's that cart right there. And I can keep, uh, I have a, a box that I keep all the sharpening stuff in so that it stays contained, but I can just lift off different trays and pull out my sharpening things and uh, put a new edge on tools pretty quickly and easily. Um, I had that stuff in a drawer and I thought having it in a drawer in my bench would make it more convenient to use, but it's not. I'm apparently that kind of a lazy guy that it's, it just felt like more setup that needed to take place. And I just didn't want to interrupt my woodworking. Plus I had stuff on my bench already. So then where do you put this and then how does it work? And, but especially with warmer weather now having a dedicated sharpening area, especially for using hand tools in the way that I like to use them, I can see a real big benefit from having that. So that was kind of a fun, fun upgrade for me. Yeah. Sounds like you live in a construction area, Phil, what you got going on behind you there? Just so everybody knows. Right. Yeah. So uh, apologies for the construction going on behind us, but we're kind of moving around our offices here at Woodsmith. So uh, my new office space is in the video studio. So where we film the TV show and all of our YouTube videos and kind of behind me over this way is a uh, area that's getting revamped into some smaller photo studio spaces for our sister gardening and cooking section. So they're doing some drywall and electrical rough ends and all that kind of stuff. So that, that delightful buzz that you hear in the background is some kind of oscillating tool <laughs> cutting through bones or it's something. Not, it's not John's what, Mason bees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what angry, it sounds like. Yeah. Angry Mason, which is kind why we need a home yes. for them. We got, we got to put them in they're something. just not happy. Right. I thought those were getting yeah. delivered. Yeah, I thought those yeah. were getting delivered today. So if there's a, a box buzzing around, it might be warm enough for them to be so, awake. And in general, it's going to be super cool once so. it's all done because we're going to have, uh, 
you know, the three of us end up spending a lot of time here in the studio with uh, Becky, who's appeared on the podcast a couple of times. So we have new cubicle spaces set up in here, which feels a little bit more permanent than the random conference table setup that we sort of had. And we've been channeling the Gryffindor common room in the comfort of of this space. I thought we were channeling Got the couch. Uh, room of requirements more or less right now. Right now, right now it's the room of requirement because stuff from <laughs> that other room is kind of piled in here temporarily. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to, it gets worse before it gets that's better. Right. You know, talking about your, your sharpening station, Phil, mm-hmm. that's one thing I've noticed that I do. I, I like leaving my sharpening stuff out because I'm more apt to just touch up stuff, stuff quick. And I think I've, even if I didn't have it out, I still think I would touch stuff up sooner rather than later because I have come to realize it, it behooves me more to take ten seconds to sharpen something, even if I even if it's just a simple stropping versus going back to a stone. But I have yeah. noticed in my shop it tends to collect dust, like just because dust tends to settle on stuff. You know, I mean, it's a woodworking shop, right? So I think it would be cool. Maybe it's yeah. a shop notes project. We do like a, a timber or roll top sharpening station where it, it's covered, but you roll the top back. I, yeah. Maybe it's a pop wood project. Maybe you should just not write that down, Phil. Okay. Too late. But something, to, something that's covered <laughs> and you can just quickly open it up. Stones are there, set up, ready to go. Sharpen, close the door. Got to remember to close the door. So you right. put doors on your sharpening station, yeah. but not on mm-hmm. your tool cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. I think we had a project from Shop Notes that was in the shop there for a while that had a yes. top that, you know, it slid open. So the had, you know, wings and then there was the the stones underneath or whatever. But yeah, you go to a lot of different directions that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a good idea. Because I was thinking another thing would be like, you know, because not everybody's sharpening setup, depending on the tools they use, is the same. Like, even for you, Logan, like your sharpening setup for turning tools is different than chisels and hand planes. Anyway, to do an article on different uh, sharpening stations that somebody would have, you know, because you could have somebody, you know, I think of like Vic Teslin, who has, you know, he's he does a lot of most of his sharpening on a Tormek. So that's going to look different than somebody who has mostly stones of some kind. Yeah. Well, I think more than maybe more than anything else, it's easy. Depending, I guess, depending on how how into woodworking you are, I think it's m- easier to end up with more sharpening systems in your shop than anything else. Like, there's only so many ways to drill a hole, right? A drill press or a drill, for the most part. But mm-hmm. how many different, like, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, in my shop, I have my grinder, um, I have my oil stones, I have my diamond stones, and I probably have a couple wet stones, I have some slip stones. I mean, there's, there's all these different, they each have an individual use, um, and mm-hmm. I absolutely could see adding a Tormac into my shop to do grinding on some of, you know, uh, like doing the initial bevels on some chisels or whatever, hollow grinding stuff. I mean, even though I could probably use my, my, my grinding 
my grinder right. for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to end up with a bunch of different stuff. All valid, though. Not like, it's not like, I mean, I don't need oil stones and water stones and wet stones and diamond stones. I don't need all that stuff. But the grinder is necessary for my turning tools. Um, the, you know, oil stones and mm -hmm. wet stones and diamond stones are necessary for my edge tools. So kind of different uses, but mm -hmm. yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, you can definitely collect a lot of stuff if you're doing more than just chisels and plain blades. If you're doing the turning tools and carving tools and yeah. all that other stuff now, too requires. It, yeah, no now I do think that specialty sharpening. There are systems that can do a lot of it. Like like you said, Vic uses a Tormac. That the Tormac I think has the ability to do it all. You just have to know how to set it up and how to use it correctly and use the jigs correctly. It's a slow system. And get all those and jigs. And get all those jigs. Yeah, because yeah, they're expensive. Um, it is yeah. slow, too. Didn't you have a Tormek knockoff I had, for a while? I had or? the Rikon version, yes. And okay. I sold it. And the reason I sold it is because it was so slow. It was one of yeah. those that I bought it for. Um, I bought it to do the, the initial grind on some of my like plain irons, my chisels, you know, hollow grind them to a particular angle and it would give you a very serviceable edge for most things but i'm i'm always going to go to a stone afterwards um but when i when i bought nice uh cbn wheels for my grinder um for sharpening my my turning tools i realized how much quicker it is to just take it to the 80 grit cbn wheel and i can grind that bevel really fast because i'm going to a stone anyways so it doesn't need to be as polished of an edge as the Tormek gives you. So, you know, completely valid, and I'm not knocking Tormek users or Tormek as a system at all. It, it works very well. It just happens to be a slower system than what I use. So. Well, and I, I think it comes down to the point of, like, you have to... You have to take ownership of whatever system you're using. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you're going to have a Tormek, then do the deep dive and go all in yeah. and figure out and spend the time to make it work. Yep. You know, like, and Vic's done that, you know, his stuff that he shows on, uh, on his site and, you know, he does classes on it. Like he is smart about how he uses it and has invested in it both in time and in the, in the accessories that go with it, yeah. you know? So if it's the same thing with, you know, oil stones or water stones or diamond stones, like take the time to maximize your performance with them Yep. and know what you're, what you're getting. Yeah. Well, and there are actually a handful of really good turners. Um, some of the best turners in the world actually use the Tormac. I mean, 95% of turners use grinders, uh, but I know like Glenn Lucas, um, Nick Agar, they, they use Tormacs. They give you a sharper edge than a grinder does generally um but they use them and i mean they're depending on what you're sharpening though sometimes the finer ability is lost on that tool um some of the um, powdered steels like the uh, doug thompson's tool um i think they're v10 steel um his tools hold edges very long uh but they don't get as sharp because they're a larger grain so it's like going above a 220 grit wheel doesn't actually do anything because 
the steel's ability to get that sharp, it, it can't do it. So, yeah, I mean, we have a Tormek in the shop here, and we replaced the wet wheel with a big CBN wheel. Yep. So it's like kind of crossing the streams a little bit. I mean, it's obviously not as fast as a high, you know, as a grinder. more traditional dry grinder. Yeah. Um, but well, and I think so. You have some of that, some of those benefits. Yeah. Both ways. I think Steve also. I, I heard Steve say, "Man, he bought a. I think it's a four hundred grit wheel CBN wheel for that Tormek. Maybe uh, after he bought it, he's like, I should have got the two twenty. <laughs> Because <laughs> it does take a long time. So, but you know what? Hey, sharpening should be your Zen place. Right. Yeah. Once you enjoy sharpening, you will sharpen often. Uh, I think once you enjoy using sharp tools, you will sharpen often. There you go. Yeah. You will sharpen more often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. All right. I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, I'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com, or you can send a question or a comment in the comments section on our YouTube channel where you can see the podcast as well. Otherwise, please subscribe and rate and review the Shop Notes podcast on your local podcast provider. It helps us to get the podcast out to other woodworkers like you. They can share in the fun. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Woodcraft. Since 1928, Woodcraft has been providing woodworkers with the best tools and supplies. You can get a free catalog. Visit woodcraft.com slash shop notes or check out one of their 75 stores nationwide. Woodcraft, helping you make wood work. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.